0: What is grace? Grace
1: is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone.
0: Today we continue our series on what is the Bible. We are trying to figure out not just what scripture is, but also why we should listen. We spent the last two weeks looking at some of the things the Bible says about itself. Uh, the first week we looked at the woes or curses from Jesus. He absolutely crushed the religious leaders of his time by pr- because they were prioritizing the wrong things. They didn't put loving God and loving their neighbor at the center of what they did. So in the end, they were making people twice as bad as when they began. It's quite possible for us to do the same thing when we grossly misunderstand what the Bible uh, means, what, what it's trying to say to us. So we have to be careful. We have to get our priorities straight, and that begins with making sure we read the Bible with love of God and neighbor as our central focus. Last week, we looked at the inspiration of Scripture. The Apostle Peter argued that the transfiguration of Jesus on Mount Tabor was the moment where so many of the ancient prophecies of the Bible were fulfilled. All of Scripture was pointing to Jesus, to the revelation that he is indeed divine. So we see another piece of the puzzle fall into place. The Bible is about God's love for us, a neighbor, and it's all pointing us to Jesus. This is huge, and yet there is still more to add to the puzzle. Now we look at our third topic, how God speaks to us and speaks through us. Paul is going to read for us from the book of Hebrews. It's in the New Testament. We don't know the author, but it's probably Apollos or Silas who would have worked closely with the apostle Paul. We are going to hear how all is laid bare before God. So what can we do? How does God speak to us when we so clearly fall short of God's glory? Let's listen to Hebrews chapter chapter 4, verses 12 through chapter 5, verse 10. Hear now the
1: word of the Lord. Indeed, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing it until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow, It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before him no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account, Jesus, the High Priest. Since then we have a great High Priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Every high priest chosen from among mortals is put in charge of things pertaining to God on their behalf, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward, since he himself is subject to weakness. And because of this, he must offer sacrifice for his own sins, as well as those of the people. And one does not presume to take this honor, but takes it only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself in becoming a high priest, but was appointed by the one who said to him, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And he says also in another place, you are a priest Forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And having been made perfect, He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, having been designated by God a high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek.
0: And from Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there until they have watered the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth it shall not return to me empty but it shall accomplish that which which I purpose and succeed in the thing for which I sent it. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray as we begin. Lord make us an inclusive community passionately following Jesus Christ. Work in our hearts and minds to hear from you that our lives might better reflect the life of Jesus. Speak to us that we might trust you more every day. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Meeting a celebrity can be a pretty significant event in a person's life. You'll get all kinds of reactions from both the celebrity and the person who is so excited to meet them in real life. Uh, there's a, a young girl who met Ryan Gosling at the grocery store. She asked for a picture, and he said yes. She was so nervous, though, her hand was shaking, and the picture she took came out all blurry. You could barely see their faces. Uh, There's Guy Fiari who grew up in Ferndale, California. He isn't in town much, but every year he makes sure he attends his church's Christmas candlelight service. After one service, some teenagers were talking about it, and one friend said she got to sit right behind him. She said he smelled just like ranch dressing. Now, for me, I'm the kind of person that would try and play it cool, if I did recognize the celebrity, which is a pretty big if, I'm probably not going up and talking to them. I don't want to interrupt their day, especially if, if they, uh, m- that might be a nuisance to them. I choose to be polite, perhaps even overly polite, to try and make up for all the people who do interrupt their day. So this next story sounds a little like what would happen with me if I were to encounter a celebrity. A young man remembers when he met Paul Rudd. Uh, Paul is pretty famous these days with the new Ant-Man a superhero movie. But this happened years ago. It was at one of the Vanderbilt mansions. He says, When I was six, six years old, Paul Rudd happened to be in the same tour with my family. It was just us and Paul Rudd. To be polite, my parents pretended We didn't even know who he was, so we stood next to Paul Rudd and looked at antique toilets for a few hours together. Now, maybe that's not exactly what I would do, but that response does make some sense, doesn't it? Maybe we're trying to be polite, but it can also be that maybe we feel unworthy to be in the presence of someone famous. We might try and shy away from their celebrity. That's a common reaction. We we see someone who we think is better than us superior to us in some way and we defer to them we let them be in charge of the situation it's not just celebrities this can happen with politicians or authors it could just be someone who is an expert in their field and we gush and can't control ourselves or maybe we feel a little inferior and there was a college student years ago who had a landline to his house he shared with his friends When one friend moved out, they were transferring the phone from one person to another, and when they called the phone company, the person asked the college student, what name do you want on the phone? And he realized he could pick any name he wanted. So he just thought of a random celebrity and said, Willie Nelson. At first, it was just funny, but then they started getting calls. People found the number and wanted to talk to the famous singer. It went on for months and months until finally one day they got a call from... Willie Nelson. He said, hey, there aren't many of us out there in the world. Give me a call. So this college student called Willie Nelson and confessed the truth of what had happened. Willie gave him concert tickets and asked him to talk to him after the show, so that's what he did. There there in person, Willie Nelson said, you know, you really don't have any right to those messages people left for me. I want you to stop. So that's what he did. He canceled the number, realizing the mistake he had made. I'm sure that college student felt pretty self-conscious in that moment, and I think something similar can happen when it comes to God, too. The writer of Hebrews begins this section by saying, God, God's word can judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart that no one is hidden from the Lord. They might make, that might make you feel pretty anxious, right? It might even make you feel unworthy of God. There are a bunch of important things that jump out in this passage to help us understand our relationship with God, but one is definitely more unique. Twice, a character is mentioned that you may not be familiar with. His name is Melchizedek. Jesus is declared a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Who in the world is that? Well, he first shows up in Genesis 14, and when I say he shows up, I really mean it. He seemingly comes from nowhere. Abraham has just battled five kings and was victorious. As he returns home, the Bible says King Melchizedek was the priest of God Most High, El Elyon. Melchizedek blesses him, and how does Abraham respond? He gives Melchizedek one-tenth of everything he has. Maybe one-tenth is ringing a bell for you. That's a tithe, the ancient model of how much to give to God. Abraham, Father Abraham, who is the revered, revered father of all Jewish, Christian, and Muslim people, has shown deference to Melchizedek. It's like a celebrity just showed up, and Abraham shows all the respect in the world to him. So when the writer of Hebrews says Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek, He's saying Jesus is not only a good man, a moral man who gave his life for other people, he's saying Jesus is even superior to Abraham. Moses is the greatest leader the Jewish people ever had, but Abraham, Abraham is the father of everyone. He, is, he has no need to show respect to anyone at all. Everyone has to show respect to him. So to have this reversal where Abraham gives one-tenth of everything to Melchizedek, this is very strange. Who could possibly be superior to Abraham? Ancient writers thought, well, maybe since Melchizedek comes out of nowhere, maybe he's some kind of heavenly being. Maybe he's an angel. Maybe he is the archangel, Michael. But the writer of Hebrews says, no, don't miss it. Melchizedek is priest and king. This combination was very rare, and some people didn't like it. What king could rule so well that they could also be your priest? And what priest could lead you to God and to military victory? It seemed impossible to do both. And yet here's Jesus declared both priest and king just as Melchizedek was. I think many of us are familiar with the idea of a king or queen. It's not so foreign to us, even if the terror of someone deciding whether you live or die doesn't really happen anymore. But I have one little story that reminds me just a bit of what that feels like. When I was in college, I had a professor that made us do the work ourselves to calculate our grades. I think maybe he was just trying to avoid angry, surprised students when they got their grades, but I always wondered in the back of my mind if maybe he was just being a little lazy in doing the calculations. We had to take all the assign- assignment grades, weigh the scores, divided it by a certain number, and then email it to him what our grade for the semester was. I remember doing the math and winding up with something like a 3.2999, came out to a B plus, I was 0. .0001 away from an A-, so I mustered up all the courage I had and set a meeting with my professor. I politely asked if he would consider rounding up so that I could have the A I pointed out how I had done all the assignments and never missed a class, but I also knew, I totally knew, I did not deserve that A-, he was completely within his rights to keep it at a B+ when I got my grades that semester, I felt blessed, but still very unworthy of my grade when he rounded up. I got the A-, but a king or queen has that right, that power. It is their decision, and no one can change it. They are the final judge. Jesus has that kind of power. But Jesus isn't just king, he is also high priest. The writer of Hebrews tells us in verse 16 something we can easily miss. He tells us that we can approach the throne of grace with boldness. The Jewish high priest was the only person who could go to the throne of grace, and it happened just once a year. There was the temple of God, and in the back, behind the curtain, was the Ark of the Covenant. This is the throne of grace the literal seat of God. God supposedly lived right there, and if anyone touched the Ark of the Covenant in an unworthy way, they could die from it. There are plenty of stories in the Bible of exactly that happening. The point is, the high priest, the highest religious official, was the only person allowed in one time a year, just one time, And his only action while in there was to sprinkle blood on the ark for the forgiveness of the people's sins and to offer incense. There was this tradition that went along with it that the high priest would have a rope tied around their foot. So if he did something wrong, if he was unworthy in some way, offended God and was struck dead, his body could be pulled out of the tabernacle. That's how serious this action by the priest was. That's how sacred The throne of grace was. So when we are told in Hebrews to approach the throne of grace with boldness, this is a really scary thing. It's worse than embarrassing yourself in front of your favorite celebrity. This is life or death, one misstep, and you could be dead. How can we be bold when our lives are at stake? The same thing happens in our relationships with people. This past week, someone was telling me a story of something they had done. The church was having a big event, and someone was was selling something. They had written in a few extra zeros on the sign. It was a harmless prank, and all the more funny if you know who did it. But when he confessed to his crime later, the seller was furious. The relationship was very frosty after that. And I felt for both people. One person has their cell interfered with, and another meant no harm and got burned. How can we be bold in our relationships with others, laughing and joking and crying and mourning, doing all of life together when someone might take something the wrong way, one wrong move, and the relationship is ruined? And in that moment, as the story was being told, I I did what a priest would do. I offered forgiveness. Sure, the sin was not against me, but what a priest does is act as an intermediary between us and God. My sacred role is to help people experience God. And forgiveness is more important than being right. Mercy is better than sacrifice. I think that's just a touch of what Jesus does for us in a much bigger way. Hebrews says Jesus was made perfect through suffering so that he might become the source of our eternal salvation. We can be bold coming to God, pleading our case, seeking help in times of need, asking for mercy and forgiveness, even when we probably don't deserve it, because Jesus is our high priest. He is both king and priest, Lord of our lives, telling us where to go and how to live, but also forgiving, making a way to God where otherwise there would be no way. This is what faith in Jesus ultimately means. It is trusting in Jesus' royalty as king and mediation as high priest. It is letting go of trying to control the world to make it bend our way and instead letting God's will be done. You will have help when you need it and the connection with God that speaks to your heart when you need it. Believe in God. Trust in his love. Let Jesus make a way in your life. That's the message from the book of Hebrews. Let's end with this. Uh, There was a little boy named Michael who was in kindergarten. He had to miss a day of school so that he could go to a court hearing to be formally adopted by his foster parents. When his teacher found out what was happening, she organized a special surprise field trip. And when Michael went before the judge in court, he was shocked to find his entire kindergarten class there with him. Michael's foster dad said it was amazing how people welcomed Michael into their homes and social circles. The judge had never hosted an entire kindergarten class before, so he took a moment to ask each child why they were there. The students gave beautiful answers that said that they loved Michael and that he was their best friend. What a beautiful image of how God speaks into our lives and how we can share it with others. As Isaiah says, God's word will not come back void. It is like water that soaks the earth and feeds the plants that grow so that we can make bread, and this bread will feed the world. Trust the Lord, and let the Lord use you to be those drops of water that ultimately feeds the world. You might be nervous. You might be scared to even ask God, worried he might judge you or punish you. But even though God knows every detail of our lives, we can come to the Lord in boldness, trusting that mercy and grace are at the center of who he is. Like accepting kindergartners, we can trust God and we can love others no matter who they are. Amen? Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.